And welcome to First Church as we gather together to worship the Lord on this Sunday. I invite you to hear our prelude as Sharon plays it for us this morning. Once again, I welcome you back to First Church. Uh, Well, I should say welcome myself back, I guess. That's what (laughs) I was gone last week. Uh, But it's so good to be back with you this morning and worshiping the Lord together. I have several announcements that I want to share with you before we get started. Uh, First of all, happy Father's Day to all you fathers out there. I just hope you have a special day today with your family. There's roses on the altar today in honor of couples celebrating wedding anniversaries. We want to wish a happy 52nd wedding anniversary to Jerry and Judy Cook, who celebrate that on June 22nd, and a and happy anniversary, happy 64 years of marriage to Robert and Joanne Wilkins on June 24th. The third rose on the altar today is is in honor of Roger and Marilee Eversman. Uh, this morning, I uh, got a phone call, uh, and Roger passed away at his home this morning. Uh, and so the, uh, the rose today is in honor of their 64 years. They would have celebrated on June 24th. And so I encourage you to uh, be in prayer for Marilee and their family uh, at the loss of Roger and as he enters into Christ's care this morning. There is no junior and senior high backyard Bible study tonight due to Father's Day. Uh, next week, they'll be at Jack and Sarah Shralicki's home. 
uh, also want to take a moment and encourage you to, uh, to be thinking about prayer. We're going to be actually talking about this a little bit later in the service today. Uh, but starting next week, we are going to be uh, starting a new prayer list in our bulletin. Some of you have noticed that during, this, during the, the uh, COVID-19 pandemic, uh, we were kind of doing the bulletin some different ways. And, and so one of the things that we've taken the time to, to think about is how we want to be encouraging people to be praying for, with and for each other. And so starting next week, we're going to be looking at the prayer list in a little different way. Uh, the, new, the prayer list is going to be new each week. Uh, so what we want to encourage you to do, as, as you know of, of situations, as you know of people that are in need of prayer, we encourage you to submit those to us at the church office. You can do that on Sunday mornings by dropping a note in the offering plate or, or sending an email through our website or just dropping a note off at the office. And each week that prayer list will be, will be refreshed and be new so that we know how to be, who to be praying for and, and of course how to be praying for them. Remember we are, uh, because we're on the radio and we put our bulletin on, online, we do not want to include any personal information so the list will still just be composed of names, uh, but, but it still gives you something to be praying for. So beginning this week I want to encourage you to be submitting prayer requests us uh, and, and letting us know how we can be praying for people. And starting next week in the bulletin, we are going to have a fresh prayer list uh, and the names are going to be new each week. So if you have any questions about that, and uh, feel free to let me know. Otherwise, I look forward to uh, seeing some of those names coming in and, and knowing how we can be praying for each other. This time I will invite Dave Bumbar forward. He's got something to say about Agape. Just a quick word from uh, the Agape Board of Directors, just an uh, update on what's been going on over there. I know a lot of people follow us on Facebook, but uh, some don't. So uh, they, closed, we, they closed the store on March 18th. Uh, it opened back up on May 12th. Uh, they've been taking donations on Saturday only lately, but that will change uh, on, on July 6th. They will start taking donations daily then. Uh, everything's been pretty good stock. We do need, if possible, canned pasta, peanut butter, pasta, and bar soap. So if anybody has those uh, that could drop them off here at the church, I'll make sure they get over there. Uh, Connie can let me know if, if we get some of those things collected. It is a big thank you to all the individuals and businesses over the last couple months that have continued to uh, support Agape with monetary donations. Uh, actually, things have went pretty well for the situation that we're all in and, and uh but there was a huge need after all the COVID and the schools closed down. But uh, things went pretty well. So, again, thank you to everybody that supported us uh, and continues to support us. Uh, we really appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you, Dave. And, and as always, if, if thank you for your, your service at Agape. And if anyone is able to, to help out, that is a, such a wonderful ministry. And I encourage you to, uh, to do so if you're able to do that. As Dave said, you can drop donations off here at the church office and we'll make sure that they get to Agape. Or you can just take them right there um, beginning uh, on July 6th when they start taking the donations every day. Uh, this time I want to encourage you to rise for our call to worship, which is taken from Psalm 24. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. For he founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false god. 
they will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God their Savior. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, God of Jacob. Lift up your heads, you gates. Be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, you gates. Lift them up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is he, this King of glory? The Lord Almighty. He is the King of glory. I invite you to remain standing if you're able and sing our praise song this morning, Waymaker. Yeah. 
Rohrbach, come forward for children's chat. Once again, if children, please remain in your seats. Um, Hopefully one of these weeks we'll be able to invite you forward again, but for now we're going to ask you to still remain with your families. Thank you. I'm going to use your table, Pastor. Go for it. Okay. Hi, everybody. You're so far away. I hope you can see what I've brought. Uh, Today's Father's Day, and we want to give thanks for the many important things that dads do. I brought some things in this morning that kind of help remind me of some of the things that they do. So first, and it might be a little hard to see, but this is my dad, and I think he's a great guy. I'm told I look just like him, but he doesn't have any hair. Um, Yeah. So I brought a few examples. You know, my dad is good at a lot of things, but I imagine your dad is too. My dad can fix anything, at least I believe that to be true. I bet your dad has probably fixed something for you before. Um, let's see. My dad taught me how to ride a bike. I bet if you're big enough, that your dad probably helped you too. Or somebody helped you. Because learning how to ride a bike is pretty hard. The next one I have here is homework. My dad helped me a lot with my schoolwork. He's like a math genius. I am not. And uh, I was pretty terrible at it, but, you know, dad was there to help. He even, as a school project, helped me build a catapult. If you don't know what a catapult is, it's one of those little things where you go, bing, and then it tosses things. Yeah, we built one of those out of popsicle sticks, and it worked. (laughs) Um... The last thing I got is uh, my dad works a pretty cool job. I bet your dad works at a job. And uh, that's how I learned how to run the sound system. That's what my dad does for a job. And uh, it's pretty cool to go out and do cool concerts with him. I mean, that's good memories for me. Um, But you know what? Every dad works a different job, and that's okay. And... I bet they work really, really hard to make sure that your family's really well taken care of. And that's important. So there are lots of things that dads are good at, 
Each dad has their own thing that they are super good at, and that's important. Since it's Father's Day, it's a perfect time to remember all of those things that your dad does. And now's a good time to say thank you for it. If you don't have a dad living nearby you, it's still a good time to remember those people who do take good care of you. Whether it's a grandparent, a neighbor, maybe your mom's doing double duty. I get it. Sometimes life is hard. But God is also your father. He knows us. He watches over us. And he loves us very, very much. So I hope you take time today to say thank you to your dad or dad person in your life. And... Take the time to say thank you to God because he is our heavenly father and he's looking after us too. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for our dads. They are very important and we are grateful for everything that they do. Thank you for all the people who look after us and care for us. Thank you, God, because you have made us all, because all of us you have made. And you are our wonderful Heavenly Father. Keep us strong, keep us safe, keep us healthy. In Jesus' name, amen. This time I want to invite you to stand with us as we sing our next song this morning, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. Let's turn our eyes upon Jesus now at this time. Let's take this moment to go to him in prayer. Uh, what a privilege it is to, to be able to do this for each other, uh, not just lift up our own concerns, uh, not just what's going on in our lives, but, but also for the lives of our loved ones, our friends, our community, and of course our nation and our world. There's certainly a lot we can, we can be praying for, and, and in prayer we have the opportunity to, to refocus, to reset our eyes on Jesus um, and remember that he is the one ultimately that we need. Let's take a moment and let's pray together. Lord God, you are good. Lord, and it's days like this that we are, we are inspired to remember that. Not just, uh, not just when your people are gathered together to sing your praises. Not just when we are here to encourage one another. But even on hard days, Lord, uh, you, we, you, we know that you are still good. That you, that you are still God and you are still in control. That's especially important, Lord, on days when 
when we are hurting and when we are grieving. And so I pray, especially this day, Lord, for, for the family of Roger Eversman. I pray for Mary Lee and, and their children and their relatives, Lord, and all of, of Roger's friends. Lord, I, I, I'm reminded of this passage from Psalm 23 that is so familiar to us, that even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we will fear no evil, for you are with us. Your rod and your staff, they comfort us. Lord, even on our most difficult days, we know that you are still good, and we know that you do not abandon your people, and you, you do not leave us nor forsake us. And so, Lord, we hold on to that promise, especially uh, in times of grief and in times of loss. And so I pray, Lord, that this passage would be especially true and be experienced by Roger's family this day. We pray that same prayer as well for all those who have lost loved ones recently, Lord, as, as we continue to... Uh, navigate through this uh, through this pandemic, Lord. We know the reality is there are many that are still out there that are sick, that are suffering, and many who have died as a result of COVID-19. And so we we continue to lift them up. We pray for healing for those that are in hospitals that are that are struggling at this time, and we also pray for peace and comfort for families who have who have lost loved ones, and that the 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 reality of this pandemic has hit far too close to home for them. Lord, we would be, we'd be remiss as well to, to not praise you for the many good things that we've experienced in this life. Lord, we, we acknowledge and we recognize that every good and perfect gift comes from you. And we thank you, Lord, for, for the physical, the material blessings that you, have, that you have given to us. And we ask, Lord, that you would help us and enable us to be a blessing in return. And Lord, we thank you for your spiritual blessings. We thank you for the forgiveness that we can find only in Christ that it is in him and through him, Lord, that we have redemption, that we have forgiveness, and that we can be made whole and once again part of your family. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you laid down your life for us and that, that you rose again, uh, conquering sin and death and the grave, ensuring to us that we, ensuring to us that we, that beyond this life, beyond death itself, there is a life to come for all who trust in you. And so with that, with that hope and that sure promise, Lord, Lord, we ask that you would, that you would give us joy, even in mourning, uh, that you would give us hope and, and uh, something to hold on to even on our hardest days. We thank you for all of these things and pray them in the, in the name of Jesus who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. This time I want to invite you to open your Bibles with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 11-13 through 13 for our scripture reading today. As you know, we've not had our, our hymnals or our pew Bibles with us uh, in the sanctuary since we returned to worshiping together. But I do encourage you, if you have a Bible of your own, to, to bring it so you can follow along. Or if you have a phone or other device, uh, follow along with us on that. We're in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 11 through 13. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. And may he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy 
in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you that we have this opportunity now to, to study your word, to, to pause in the midst of our, our busy, busy day, busy week, Lord, and take time devoted to studying your word. I pray that you would, your spirit would guide us, uh, you, you would give me words to speak, and that you'd open up all of our hearts and minds to what you have to say to us today. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Uh, before I get started, I do want to just say thank you to Pastor Tori for, for filling the pulpit for me last week. Uh, Allie and I and our family got to get away for a little while down in, in Gatlinburg, Tennessee. Uh, we had this uh, trip planned with Allie's family. We rented a cabin all the way back like in September of last year, I think it was. Uh, we didn't realize there would be a global pandemic in between then and now, but thankfully we were able to get down, enjoy some time, uh, get down there and enjoy some time together. Uh, and so thank you, Tori, for filling in and, and doing a wonderful job last week in my absence. So today I want to continue on with our series through First Thessalonians. Uh, we started preaching several weeks ago, uh, beginning in chapter one, and now we are we are coming to the close of chapter three, which is really the the end of this first half of the letter. And it ends here with these three these verses are are a prayer that Paul is offering up to God on behalf of the Thessalonians. And and so what I want to do today is is take a look at this prayer and this and, and what it teaches us. The short prayer of Paul teaches us three things. And I do say at least, I want to say at least three because there's always more to learn from God's word. You see, the Bible is a well that never runs dry. It's possible to keep coming back to the same passage over and over again and continue to learn something new. The Bible, as it says, is living and active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. And so think about a passage like John 3.16, right? One that we are all so familiar with, so familiar with. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. How many sermons do you think have been preached on that passage alone? How many devotionals written that focus on John 3.16? Probably hundreds or thousands. Yet God's love for this world and the extent to which he went to show it through Christ to, excuse me, through Christ to show us that love is something that we can still barely wrap our minds around. There's still so much we have to learn and experience about God's love for us in Christ. Admittedly, the passage that we have before us today is not quite as familiar to most of us as John 3.16. These three short verses at the end of 1 Thessalonians 3 mark a turning point in this letter, as I mentioned already. In the first half of 1 Thessalonians, Paul focused a lot of his attention on the relationship that he had with the Thessalonian church, right, and the reception that they had made of the gospel. And so now he wraps up the first half of the letter by, by turning his attention, excuse me, he's going to wrap up the letter uh, by turning his attention to more practical matters in the remaining two chapters. So to be honest here, as I, as I was mapping out this sermon series uh, uh last month and thinking about where to go with these individual sermons, this one I was struggling with a little bit, right? At first glance at at this passage, it, it didn't really lead me anywhere. But the more I read it, the more I let this prayer sink in, I realized that there's a lot going on in this, in these three short verses. That brings me back then to the three things that Paul's prayer teaches us. It teaches us something about God which I suppose should be obvious, right? We're reading something from Scripture. Of course it's going to teach us something about God. It also teaches us something about intercessory prayer. 
And it teaches us something about what God wants to produce, not just in the Thessalonians' lives, but in our lives as well. And so let's jump into this text together. It's a short one, uh, just three verses. So I want to take this opportunity to read it again. And as I do so, I want you to think about what Paul is saying. Maybe you need to hear it several more times to really let it sink in like I did. And so I'd like to read it again for us. Again, it's 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, uh, beginning in verse 11. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as he, ours does for you. And may he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when the Lord Jesus comes with all of his holy ones. Paul's prayer here is comprised of three separate requests. He asked God the Father and the Lord Jesus to clear away, right, for his companions to travel back to Thessalonica. He asked that the Lord would increase their love for other people and also that he would strengthen their hearts. I'll talk about the specifics of these requests for a moment, but first I'd like you to notice what, who is doing all of the action in these prayers. Is it Paul? Right? Is, it, is it the Thessalonians? No, Paul is directly appealing to God that God would work in each of these situations. And it may seem apparent to anyone reading the prayer that that's the case, but I also don't want to just overlook the obvious for us. Right? God is, is completely in control, and we are totally dependent on him for everything, right? from our basic physical and material needs to salvation and faith itself. We cannot do it on our own. We must rely on him for everything. There's a great passage from, uh, from the passage that, excuse me, there's a great verse from the passage that Pastor Tori preached on last week from Acts 17. As Paul was preaching to the Athenians on Mars Hill, he said that in him, speaking of God, that we live and move and we have our being. God the Father, through the work of our Lord Jesus Christ, is the source of everything good. He is the giver of every good and perfect gift. See, we rely too much on ourselves, don't we? We try to get things done our way and in our own power. We reduce the gospel then to a series of self-help tips. How many of you have heard sermons about being a better parent or better spouse or better boss or better employee? We search the scriptures for 10 tips on how to manage our money better or eight simple rules for raising teenage children. Now, those things are important, and the Bible does contain wisdom about these and many other areas. But Christianity, right, our faith is about more than just becoming a better person. There are plenty of good people in this world who don't know Jesus, right? If following Jesus is just about becoming a better person and just about doing the right thing all of the time, right, how do we explain that, that there are good people that don't know Jesus, right? We can't. It's because there's more to following Jesus, right? There's more to faith. There's more to this thing that we call Christianity, than just being good, right? The more you dig into Scripture, you'll realize that the Bible is not about you. It's not about making you a better person, first and foremost. You are not the main character of Scripture, right? Do you, do you know who is? Who, who is the story of Scripture all about? It's about Jesus, and what God is doing in him and through him to rescue and redeem a, broken, a world broken by sin. Right, take the story of David and Goliath, for example. Right, you know the story. 
Israel was at war with the Philistines and the giant Goliath would go out each day and challenge Israel to send out their best fighter, their champion, to go out and face him in single combat, winner-take-all battle. But no one was willing to step up. No one was willing to volunteer as tribute. Then David, who wasn't even a soldier, arrived on the battlefield and was appalled that no one was willing to fight Goliath. So this young shepherd boy, without any experience, without any armor, stepped forward to fight the giant. All he took into battle with him was a sling, five little stones, and faith in the Lord. He slung the stone, and as the song says that we sing in Sunday school, the giant came tumbling down. Let me ask you this. How many of you have heard a sermon or read books that told you that you were David? Right? That, that with just a little bit of faith, you could defeat your Goliath. You could overcome the giant obstacle in your way and become a successful person. Right? I hate to break it to you, but you're not David in this story. Right? At best, you're one of the soldiers in the army that was afraid to fight. And so who's David? Right? Who does David represent and point to in the story? Well, it's Jesus, of course. Right? He was our champion. He was the one willing to fight the enemy when no one else would. We receive the benefit, right? We receive the benefit of his victory, even though we were unable to accomplish anything apart from him. Right? Unfortunately, we rely too much on ourselves. We try to solve all of life's problems on our own. It's only when we run out of options that we then turn to God in prayer and seek out his help. But that's such a backwards way of thinking. Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, right? and all of these other things will be given to you as well. Right? It's about making Christ first and foremost in our lives. It's about searching, out, uh, searching him out and relying on him because we can't do it on our own. Right? So think about what Paul is asking God to do here for the Thessalonians, right? We can't, and, and so we can't do what we believe God is calling us to do on our own. We must rely on Jesus, right? Paul wanted to go to Thessalonica and minister to the church there. He wanted to go in person to be their, be their support, to, to minister to them, to share the gospel with them more. But he couldn't do it on his own. He needed God to do something or it wasn't going to happen at all. Right? We can't love others the way that Scripture clearly teaches us that we should. We must rely on Jesus. Right? Our ability to love in and our own strength is finite. If we depend on ourselves, we'll eventually run out of gas. One morning when I was in college, uh, I, was, I was running late to class, and anybody who knew me at the time would not have been surprised by that revelation. And I was living off campus at the time, and so I, I ran out of the house, I hopped in my car and started to drive towards towards the building. Uh, as I was pulling out of the driveway, I noticed that my, my gas gauge was very much on empty. Uh, but I thought, you know, I'll just get to class. I will, I will go to class and I'll head to the gas station afterwards to fill up. Uh, unfortunately, I didn't make it that far. Uh, I barely made it onto campus when my car uh, gave up on me. Uh, I was able to just, uh, just get to the side of the road. I was severely underestimating just how far a Dodge Stratus could go with no gas. I managed to get it, as I said, I managed to get at the side of the road and rush to class. Uh, but not only was I late to class, uh, I had to receive a parking ticket because my car was parked illegally alongside the road. And then I had to walk to the gas station afterwards to get gas and bring it back and fill up the tank to get it back home. All right, think about that. 
I think about that story when I think about us. Right, too many of us are trying to run on empty. Right, we try to love others while coasting on fumes. See, our ability to love others is finite. If we try to do it in our own strength, we're always going to be running on empty. And we're never going to make it to our destination. Instead, we need to rely on the, on the infinite love that Jesus has for us and allow that to overflow towards others. As Paul prays for the Ephesian believers in, in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 18 and 19, he says, I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know that love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with the measure of the fullness of God. So we can't, we can't love people as God is calling us to love them. We must rely on Jesus. But we also can't be holy and blameless in our own strength either. You see, Scripture clearly teaches us that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so we must rely on Jesus even for our salvation. Remember, the good news of the gospel is this, right? It's not about what you can do for God. It's not about what you can do to earn his love and his acceptance. It's about what God has already done for you in the person and work of Jesus Christ. So this passage teaches us then that, that we need to fully rely on God for everything, right? We need to look to him for our basic needs as well as for our spiritual needs. The second thing this passage teaches us is about intercessory prayer. Right? Prayer comes in all sorts of shapes and sizes. There's not any one-size-fits-all sort of prayer. There's a lot of ways we can pray, and there's a lot of reasons for us to pray. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1-2, through 2, Paul, Paul tells Timothy, he says, I urge you then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. So today I want to focus in on intercessory prayer. That's what I mentioned at the beginning. And that's one type of prayer that Paul lists here in 1 Timothy. Intercessory prayer, then, is prayer for and on behalf of other people. In other words, it's not when we pray for our own needs. It's not when we lift up our own concerns to the Lord. It's when we, we go to the Lord on behalf of someone else. I realized recently that I spent a lot of time the last couple of months preaching through various prayers in the New Testament. It wasn't exactly something that I had planned. It just kind of came about as I was praying and studying God's Word for something to share with with First Church during this pandemic. I was continually drawn to these texts. Weeks eventually turned into months, and we're all still navigating our way through this crisis as a church, as a community, as a nation. And in that time, I've realized something, right? The more out of control something seems, the more important it is that we go to the Lord in prayer, right? When it seems like there's, when it seems like there's nowhere else to turn, when there's nothing that we can do, we can still turn to Jesus. No matter how bad things get, we know that God is still good, right? Jesus is still king, and the Holy Spirit is still with you. But prayer should not be selfish. It shouldn't be just about our needs and our wants, I know that if I'm not careful, my prayer life tends to focus right, on my needs and the needs of my family. That's, that's our, my, the most immediate thing in front of my face. But as Paul told Timothy, and as he demonstrated here in this passage, we must pray for each other as well. That's, why the, that's what intercessory prayer is really all about. It's about carrying each other's burdens to the cross. 
I've had people over the years tell me that they're praying for me. I hope it's a good thing, right? I hope they're praying good things for me. But I'm always encouraged, right? Even when I don't know what the content of their prayer is, even if I don't know what they're praying for, just the fact that someone is taking the time to pray for me or my family is a blessing in and of itself. To know that they care enough about you to spend time in prayer going before the Father. All right, if you're praying for someone else, let them know. Even an anonymous note can be encouraging. Right, we know it's good to, to pray for one another, but what should we pray for? What, are, what's the, what should the content of our prayers be? Thankfully, this passage gives us a glimpse at the kind of things that we should and can be praying for each other. Paul's prayer centers on three things here. One, that Paul would be able to travel, right? that the Thessalonians would be made holy and that they'd love others. The first request seems a little out of place, right, if you think about the context here, or if you don't know the context of this passage. At the end of chapter 2, Paul said that Satan was preventing him from traveling to Thessalonica. He doesn't get into specifics, he doesn't get into details about what that means, but he seems pretty clear that there was, there was some obstacle that was preventing him from being there with the Thessalonians. And so Paul goes on to pray, right, and that God would make it possible for him to go there and to be with them. And then Paul goes on to pray that their love for each other would increase and that they would be holy and blameless. Right, so, so here's what I want you to get out of this, right? By asking God to make a way for him to go there, what Paul is doing is that he's asking that God would insert himself, insert Paul into the lives of the Thessalonians and into the, the process of answering that prayer. Right, Paul is pleading with God that he would make Paul the answer to Paul's own prayers. There's an old story that I've seen floating around at various times. Right? It goes, goes something like this. A man who knows and loves the Lord uh, is increasingly bothered by the problems that he sees in the world. Things like war and violence, right? kids going to bed hungry at night, inequality, you know, those sorts of things. Eventually, he gets frustrated with God and lashes out at him in prayer. Right? God, if you're so good, why would you allow these things to happen? I believe you're good. I believe you don't want these people to suffer so much. So why don't you do something about it? And for a moment, there's silence. And then God responds by saying, I did do something about it. Right? I created you. When we pray for others, we must be willing to allow God to use us, to put us on the front lines, right, to answer that prayer. Like the prophet Isaiah said, when he saw the glory and majesty of God in the temple, we need to be willing to say, here I am, send me. Right? Praying that God would do something in this world, but then also being willing to, to be used by God to answer that very prayer. Do you want to see hungry kids fed? Then support ministries like Agape or Our Daily Bread. Do you want to see inequality end? Then be willing to speak up and work towards reconciliation where it's needed. Do you want to see violence cease? Right? Actively pursue peace and demonstrate the value of all human life. Do you want to see more people come to a saving knowledge of the gospel? Then be willing to share the hope that you have in Christ when you have the opportunity. You cannot solve all of the world's problems, but you can allow God to use you to make an impact for the kingdom when and where he's placed you. Right? That's why I think 
something like the prayer list that we are going to be restarting in the bulletin is so important. We should be praying for each other, right? As, as a church family, we should be willing to, to take time on a regular basis to lift each other up in prayer. And we know that we may not know exactly what the needs are. We may not know personally what the situation is, but we can trust that God knows exactly what's going on, right? And even if we just have a name in front of us, we can still be praying for that person and lifting them up to the Lord and asking that God would be active in their lives and that he would work in and through them. And then maybe you do know the situation. Maybe you do know what's going on. You can, you can then ask God to help you to be part of that answer to the prayer. Ask God to give you an opportunity to, to speak truth or speak love into this person's life, to be a, an encouragement and support in their time of need. We want to ask God to help us to be the answer to our own prayers. Now, this doesn't in any way contradict what I said earlier. right? I believe it's possible to be both completely dependent on God on the one hand but at the same time, seek other ways, excuse me, seek ways to be the answer to the prayer as well. Right? The reason for that is this. More, than, more often than not, I believe that the way that God answers prayers, the way that God works in the world is through people. Right? People that are completely dependent on him. God is sovereign. Right? Do you know what I mean when I say that God is sovereign? Right? It means that he's in control, that he is all-powerful, that nothing happens outside or apart from the will of God. Yet in his sovereignty, right, in his power, he chooses to use people like you and me to accomplish his will. He chooses to use you to be an encouragement and support to your family or to your friends. He chooses you to meet the need that someone else has and provide what is lacking in their lives. In his sovereignty, God uses you to accomplish his will. How amazing is that? So back to Paul's prayer here. Right? First he prays that God would make it possible for him to be with the Thessalonians. Then he goes on to pray that their love for each other would increase and that they would be holy and blameless. There's so much that we could pray for another person. So many things that we could pray for. You could pray for health. right? You could pray for a new job. You could pray for wisdom about an important decision. These are all good things. And we can and should pray about those things. But Paul here focuses on what's really important. That they would know and experience the righteousness that comes only from Christ. And that they would allow God's love for them to overflow in, in their lives. Right? That's what's really needed. That they be rooted in Christ and learn to love and serve one another. Right? Do you pray that? Do you really pray that for your family and friends? It's so easy to just go for the, the low-hanging fruit, right? And pray for the immediate concerns, pray for good health and those sorts of things. But we should be praying that they know Christ and experience the transforming power of his love. Praying for a clean bill of health is good, but we all know that our health can deteriorate in an instant. Right, whether it's cancer, COVID-19, or a car accident, none of us are guaranteed tomorrow. Nothing, nothing in this life will last forever apart from what we're able to do in and through Christ. Or maybe I should say what Christ is able to do in and through us. Right, pray that you and your loved ones can know and experience that for themselves. Right? When we pray for others, we should keep in mind Paul's advice from 
Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 2. He says, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. So that brings us then to our final point for today. This passage teaches us that we need to rely completely on God and that we ought to pray for each other. And finally, Paul says here in his prayer that we must allow God's love to transform us. Right? It does no good to know these things about God and pray that others would experience it if we don't allow ourselves to be transformed by it as well. First, we need to be people who overflow with love. I mentioned this earlier, but it bears repeating, right? We can't love people the way that Scripture clearly calls us to love in our own strength. We're going to run out of gas. We need to rely instead on God's love for us. It's only when we experience that love for ourselves that we're able to pass it on to others. Uh, notice here, there's, like a, there's a sense of progression in this, in this verse. And, and Paul prays that their love would overflow for others just as his does for them. I like to think of it as like a multi-tiered fountain, right? We've all seen those in parks or, or maybe fondue is your thing and you get those cheese or chocolate fountains that are overflowing, right? How do those work? They start at the top and when that top layer is full, it overflows to the next, right? And then that one is filled up and that overflows, right? The source of water, right, for the bottom layer of the fountain isn't, isn't the fountain itself. It's coming from the layer above it. But it's only when the, those, those layers above it allow themselves to be filled and to overflow that those bottom ones experience uh, are being filled at all. all right, we, need to, we need to recognize that Jesus is the source of our love. Right? And we need to allow that to then overflow in our lives towards others. 1 John chapter 4, verses 19-21 through 21 says, We love because He first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he's given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother or sister. So the love that comes from our relationship with God is like that top tier. Right? Only when you experience that love for yourself will it overflow into the next one. And when they experience it, Right? When they experience God's love working in and through you, they will, it'll cause them to overflow and share that love with others. God's love will set up a chain reaction in their lives. So notice here too that your love for others should not be confined to just your brothers and sisters in Christ either. Yes, we're called to love one another, but we also have to love people outside of the church. We're called to love even our enemies. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 through 48, You've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. All right, what's Jesus saying here? He's saying it's easy to love people when they love you back. Right? That doesn't take much effort. That doesn't take much faith. You can, you can do that on your own and in your own strength. But to love people that are different from you, right? to, love, to, to love people that look different and think different, 
people that might not ever love you back at all, right? That takes a supernatural kind of love. That takes the transforming love of Jesus to accomplish. So Paul prays first that we must love, our love should overflow. And second, we need God's love to strengthen our hearts so that we will be holy and blameless when Christ returns. Paul's going to spend some time later on in this letter kind of unpacking that. And so I don't want to spend too much time today because we'll be talking about it in coming weeks. But here's what you need to know. You cannot and you will not live a holy and blameless life on your own. We will all stand before God one day to give an account of our lives. And some of us, some of us may even still be here when Jesus returns. None of us knows the day or hour of when that will happen. But we do know this for sure that all our righteousness is like filthy rags compared to knowing Christ and the righteousness that comes through faith. Scripture says that there is no one righteous, not even one. Therefore, the only way that we can be holy and blameless when Christ returns is to receive by faith the forgiveness and redemption of Christ that he offers, that he made possible through his death and his resurrection. You see, that's our hope. Right? If we want to be justified before God one day, if we want to stand before him with a clear conscience, it's, not, it's certainly not because of anything that we have done for ourselves. It's because of what Jesus has earned for us. God made him who had no sin to become sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. Right? Jesus took our sin upon himself so that we might receive the benefits of his perfect obedience and righteousness. Our closing song today is a new one for us. It's called His Mercy is More. As we sing about, as we sing the song together, I want you to think about the lyrics. The chorus goes like this. Praise the Lord, His mercy is more. Stronger than darkness and new every morn. Our sins, they are many, but His mercy is more. Let's pray. Father God, I pray that you would help all of us, Lord, each one that is Hearing the sound of my voice here in the sanctuary, watching on Facebook or listening on the radio, Lord, I pray that we would all know and experience the transforming power of your love. Lord, I pray that it would, that it would transform us so that we may receive your righteousness in place of our sinfulness, Lord. That we, our love for, for others may overflow out of the love we ourselves have experienced and received through Christ. And Lord, I pray that it would inspire us to make a difference in this world, to be the kind of people who are who, who willingly, Lord, and obediently uh, look to you to, to be the answer to the prayers where we are able. Lord, we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. I invite you to stand and sing with us. His mercy is more.
grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. You may go in peace.